you ever heard a strange noise in the middle of the night? Hello? Ever seen something you couldn't quite explain? What's that? Ever been visited by a loved one in a dream? What are you? Psychic mediums Katie Manning and Michelle Lyons-Polito talk about it all. Welcome to the Psychic on the Scene podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Psychic on the Scene. And as always, with me, I have my wonderful friend and co-host, Michelle Lyons-Polito. Hey, everyone. And I have my other wonderful, lovely co-host and friend, D. Scott. Hey. <laughs> and we have a really exciting special guest tonight um, who graciously came on during a holiday, um, Steve Ward. And uh, hi, Steve. Hi, great to be here. Thank you so Thank much you. for doing this. And Woo-hoo! Steve is here to talk to us about uh, the legend of the Mothman. And it is a, if, if our listeners don't know anything about this boy, dig in and listen. Um, I have been fascinated by the Mothman legend for years since I was a kid mm. because I didn't hear a lot about it. Not like Sasquatch, not as much like you hear about like Bigfoot, but right. because it was tied to so much within the community and still is that is. I think it's absolutely fascinating. So, um, Steve, tell us a little bit about you and your connection with um, the Mothman. I believe it's the organization, correct? The museum? Yes. Uh, well, the, uh, uh, Jeff Wamsley is the, uh, he and Carolyn Harris actually uh, 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 created the Mothman Festival. Mothman okay. Festival occurs every September, every third weekend. And it started oh. about 2001. Now, Carolyn Harris, unfortunately, is no longer with us. She oh. was one of the, uh, uh, just a, a, you know, one of the, the uh, pioneers, the backbone of the town. I mean, just mm-hmm. a great lady. She would feed people that needed it for free. She had oh. the Harris's Steakhouse was mm. uh, also known as the Mothman Diner. Now, she, oh. uh, we'll, we'll yes, get to I've the, seen it. I've seen we'll it get on, to the bridge collapse shows. later. On TV, yes. yeah. Right. But, uh, and, and sometimes they screw it up. They'll show you the outside of the diner and show you the inside of another building. So those of <laughs> us that know Point Pleasant are, are very picky about the editors and, uh, and what they do sometimes. But Carolyn, uh, she actually lost her little boy when the bridge oh. collapsed. Uh, that the, uh, uh, the culmination Was she of the actually on it, Steve? Was she on it too? No, 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 no. Survived? He, oh, okay. His, her ex-husband and the, and the boy were on. And, uh, but nevertheless, uh, she did whatever she could to help the town recover. Uh, now, Jeff Wamsley uh, is the curator of the Mothman Museum. The Mothman, Mothman Museum is right downtown, right next to the, the majestic Mothman statue, which I'm sure you've seen pictures of. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. The museum is so well done and, and so well put together. And uh, I mean, there are, there, there are souvenirs like t-shirts and so forth, but there's nothing, no half measures, nothing cheap about it. It's just phenomenally done. They have uh, memorabilia from the film, The Mothman Prophecies. They have old newspaper articles. It's it's a real joy to wander through there. Uh, Ooh, that's going that, that on my list of yeah, here. It's <laughs> going on my list then, then to go there. So let's go back a little bit um, here with the history and the information on The Mothman. And this, as you said, is from Point Pleasant. Yes. And right it's on the Ohio in, River. Right. Okay. And it's in Virginia. And West Virginia. What, West, West Virginia. Virginia. Okay. And what year was this that this took place, Steve, when the well, first it was, sighting? It was 1966. That was an important year for me. I had uh, become interested in things like UFOs and so forth from uh-huh. the books of Frank Edwards. I don't know if you remember him. He was a newspaper reporter. He was a colleague um, of the head of NICAP, uh, Donald Kehoe. He was very much oh. involved in the, in the UFO uh, scene. And oh, he wrote these great anthologies uh, about uh, things like the Flatwoods Monster, about Bigfoot before they were calling it Bigfoot, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins, if you know that story. So that no. kind of got my interest. But then uh, March of 1966, we had a wave. Uh, I grew up in South, in, in actually around Detroit. I'm in South Central Michigan now. But in March of 1966, there was a wave of UFO sightings. And there were a lot of very credible witnesses like like police officers and so forth that mm-hmm. reported these things and multiple witnesses. That's when Dr. J. Ellen Hynek showed up and said that some of them might be swamp gas. And of course, swamp uh, gas 
was made famous forever. And all the That's newspaper right. reporters went back to their offices and said, we've solved the mystery. It's swamp it's, gas. It's swamp gas. But then, <laughs> it takes a few months form. later, November 1966, the first major sighting of the Mothman. And it's, there was a, there's an area just north of Point Pleasant they still call the TNT area. Right. And that is, uh, that's where they produced munitions during the war for the World War II effort. And there was a series of about 100 of these concrete igloos that they used to store the munitions in. Huh. Well, if you look back at the photographs in the 1940s, uh, it was just a huge complex. Uh, by the mid-60s, it was a ruin. And this, this creature, this thing, was first seen by the old North Power Plant. There were two couples, the Scarberries and the Mallets, were just driving yes. through this area. It was sort of known as a lover's lane. And oh, they were two married couples, but they would, they would try to see that the, the, they could find friends they knew. And they might pull up uh, behind uh, some unsuspecting mm -hmm. lovers and turn their, their headlights on, just to have a little <laughs> fun. But that night ended with them coming up to the power plant. They saw something that was roughly a humanoid shape. It had wings and the most uh, distinctive feature were these piercing red glowing eyes and it scared the hell out of them. So they took off, head, uh, headed south down Route 62, which takes you back into town. Mm -hmm. And this thing chased them. This thing flew after them. It oh was sort God. of, now the reports, John Keel, who is the author of the Mothman Prophecies. And mm -hmm. he went down there shortly after to investigate and was there several times throughout that year. We're talking about November 15th, 1966 is the first sighting and then right. uh, the silver bridge collapsed exactly 13 months later December oh. 15th 1967 46 wow. people lost their lives and uh, so uh, the uh, keel got about a little over 100 reports and generally speaking they reported about the same thing uh, humanoid in shape about mm -hmm. six or seven feet tall 10 foot wingspan mm. red glowing eyes uh, and these were of, all, every time I see anything about this, Steve, these were credible, uh, I guess you'd say sane people. And oh, even sure. some of them that had been, that I actually saw, who now may be passed, it might've been on, um, not believe it or not, but one of the ones, <laughs> like Unsolved Mysteries. Mm -hmm. right. And they were interviewed and they were actually afraid to talk about it because they thought they would conjure it. And they right. had all kinds of like psychic episodes around um, seeing them, but they almost felt like they, they would draw it to them. And you mm -hmm. could see visible fear. And it was obviously many years later that they felt like something else would happen to them. Like you would well, draw it to them. Many right. of the uh, people that saw this thing had an outbreak of poltergeist phenomena in their homes yes. afterwards. Oh. Um, uh, I've talked to about half a dozen of the original witnesses. Now, not everybody really? reported exactly the same thing. I talked to Linda Scarberry a few years ago before she passed. And uh, yes, these people are very credible. Although Tom Urey, he did not see the Mothman per se. He saw essentially a Thunderbird, this giant bird that he couldn't identify that had about a, a 10 or 12 foot wingspan in the daylight. So Holy cow. Uh, in these areas, there, there seems like there's all kinds of strange phenomena that occur. I mean, the, the, the UFOs were, were all over the place. They would, you could go out at night in some of the, the, the remote hollers and see these lights come overhead. So there were all kinds of things going on, people having missing time, a lot Do of they classic think, UFO Steve, phenomena. I'm just going to keep interrupting. Did they think, Steve, that this is something that was a... Um, I had heard that they thought maybe it was something that was created because of the ammunitions or something else was going on within those um, cement right. igloos or like a testing area. Or is this something that people believe was of another um, planet that was here and creating this where they were seeing these things like is there one clear thing that happened where they said they saw the UFO and then they saw the Mothman or vice versa? Or it came out of the UFO. Well, there were a right. couple of sightings where they saw this thing in, in a strange light in the sky. It, you, you don't know if you can de definitely connect them. Uh, the thing is that the Mothman was kind of a paradox because while some people thought it was flesh and blood and physical, uh -huh. it didn't act like it because it's, it has a 10 foot wingspan, which probably isn't gonna lift up anything that tall. It also didn't yeah. flap its wings necessarily. People would see it on the ground. It would put its wings behind it and shoot up straight like a helicopter. So people oh saw it, it seemed to be, it was something. 
Uh, there's, there were even some strange footprints left behind sometimes, but it's just, really? it was, it did not, it, it was, it, you know, in some ways it was more of an apparition than a physical flesh and blood creature. Uh, a lot of people think yeah. it was a harbinger because of the bridge right. collapse. I don't know that I buy that, but uh, a lot of people do feel it was. Like an angel of death type of thing. Well, they think that right. it's kind of like, um, there's two pools of thought. One was that it caused it. Mm -hmm. And the other is that it was trying to give the community a warning. It was seen flown or flying around the bridge or people had witnessed that. But kind of take us through, Steve, some of the, I, I'm actually, I, I did not know about some of the paranormal activity. No. Um, that had to do with it. What were some of the claims that people made? Uh, well, there was a, a, a researcher, I can't think of his name, a Swedish researcher that followed Keel in Point Pleasant. And he even talked to more of the original witnesses than Keel did. And almost consistently, they, were, they said that when they got home, they would have an outbreak of poltergeist phenomena. Uh, sure. Keel found that sometimes people that would have a close-up sighting of a UFO would also have something strange happen around their house. Um, huh. Oh, go ahead. No, I just, I think it's so fascinating because every time you hear, and like I said, the people that are being interviewed, they're, they're not kooks. They're, they're legit people. They were people <laughs> in the community. That was the community. Right. They would have suffered more by making or creating a story like, and did, there was by a, making a story of this. There was a town official that he doesn't identify in the Mothman prophecies for obvious reasons. He saw this thing standing out in front of his, his house. And then he oh was standing God. there on his porch and he realizes that he's lost 15 minutes, but this thing is still standing there. And then it takes See, that sounds like UFO stuff. Right. Well, the missing time phenomena occurs over and over again. That's what that's what my interest is. You know, John Keel, uh -huh. when he wrote, uh, uh, he wrote a couple books back around 1970. One is called Strange Creatures from Time and Space, which has been retitled The Guide to Mysterious Beings. And then the book that really, really influenced me was Operation Trojan Horse, where Keel brings all this type of phenomena together. We're so used oh. to, we're thinking about UFOs as separate, cryptids as something else, haunting phenomena as separate. He, has, he discovered that it all seems to be connected. And, I never uh, that. and he, he hypothesized this idea of window areas. He was trying to come to grips with why is it Number one, why is it these things sort of seem to pop in and pop out? I mean, even the Bigfoot phenomena, if mm -hmm. they right. show up and people they'll leave footprints, people will have the hell scared out of them and then they're gone. Uh, so, uh, but also you have this phenomena of certain areas and I, you may have been watching the hunt for the skin, the, uh, the Skinwalker Ranch TV show that's on now. Yes, okay. that, yeah. that scares me. Okay, that's an area <laughs> he would have called a window area where Everything, you know, strange creatures, uh, strange UFOs, lights, strange phenomena, strange energies are all happening in the same place. That's really my interest. And I think well, that let me, if we- Let me just share. I think, Michelle, you were there, but years ago when I, I, I've been psychic, Michelle and I both have been since we were little kids. Born that where way. <laughs> I could, yeah, born this way. Um, I- had started really working on police cases and missing person cases around 2006. But all around that time, Steve, we started to, I was teaching classes and I didn't realize like, all right, I see dead people, but I didn't realize there was such a high belief in, um, you said they're cryptides. Is that how you say the word? Cryptids. It cryptids. just means unknown creatures that aren't, aren't uh, documented. So in my classes, and these are people that were attorneys and nurses, uh -huh. they all had a belief in that, in, in animals like Sasquatch and, and Mothman. And 100% of them, two different classes I was teaching, all believed in UFOs. Yep. So I had to start to, Michelle probably remembers, I had to start to ask and gear the classes a little bit differently because it was something that I was kind of dismissive of. So right. we begin teaching a class um uh, to, it was indigo children and yeah. we would go weekly and we would work with the kids that actually are showing a ton of ability so mm -hmm. one of the nights that we do this 
we have um, people there and the kids all laid out on their blankets and we looked for UFOs and they could help us with looking at it up in the, in the, in the heavens. And it was really fascinating. But one of the things, Steve, they talked about was every time somebody is seeing UFOs, they also start to have high paranormal mm-hmm. activity of spirits and, and, and mm-hmm. things moving. As we're looking up, things start, we're out in the middle of like this open field. It would look like somebody walked like literally across as we're all sitting on the blankets, like a full figure shadow person without having, it it kept happening over and over again. And everyone was seeing it. Everybody was seeing it. So it was interesting to me that that was, that was the first time I ever heard that paranormal activity can go hand in hand with like these these areas that are like you're saying like windows or portals hmm. well they, you can you can find areas that go back in time even there was a uh, in 1897 there was a wave of what they call these airship reports there were sort of these majestic airships kind of like dirigibles but before dirigibles were really viable and uh they were they were seen all over the place all over the world and there was an, a, a period of time in Ohio in, in, uh, between mid-April and mid-May where this, they're seeing these things kind of making a circuit around Ohio. At the same time, in, in Adams County where the uh, Serpent Mound is, they're seeing what they called a gorilla or a wild man, which today we would oh, call Bigfoot. Bigfoot. They, they're also seeing in, around Chillicothe some kind of a large black cat that didn't uh, really seem to fit anything. Now, if you look at in, in, yeah. in 1973, 1974, in southwestern Pennsylvania, uh, Stan Gordon, who wrote a book called Silent Invasion, documented an incredible wave of Bigfoot, very strange Bigfoot reports, uh, and uh, strange lights in the sky in the same area. He wasn't saying that they, things were dropping off Bigfoots necessarily, but all this phenomena was going on at the same time. There was wow. some situations where there was a, a situation where a woman knew nothing about Bigfoot. She heard this, con- uh, this commotion on her front porch, thinking dogs were in her garbage again. So she goes out with her shotgun, sees what she describes as a large gorilla on her porch. She shoots it point blank with a shotgun, and it disappears oh. in a hail of sparks. So oh. there wow. goes your flesh and blood Bigfoot. But one thing you said before we were talking about missing time, that goes yes. all the way back to fairy lore. When people were abducted uh, yeah. by the elementals or the fairies, mm-hmm. they you know, you know well, the, the story of Rumpelstiltskin is yep. kind of a, a spun off of that. Now, usually people didn't say they were gone 20 years, but uh, the, a, a child would be playing with the fairies or whatever, tossing a ball back and forth. They think a couple hours are gone and their parents wondered where they were gone all day. There's an interesting collection called The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries by Evans Wentz, written in 1911. He went through Ireland and he collected these reports of people having experiences with the elementals, the fairies, whatever you want to call them, one-on-one, mm-hmm. collecting reports the same way we do, uh, Bigfoot and UFO reports. Mm-hmm. And, and so they weren't you know, told by Uncle Ebenezer and handed down from generations. <laughs> he was getting one-on-one reports of these things. And uh, if you, in some cases, if you look at the description of the, of the UFO occupant uh, in the 50s and 60s, they were seeing these things coming out of landed craft, wearing little silver suits and, and they have small bodies. Well, if you change their clothing to little green tunics and red caps, and sometimes there's no <laughs> distinction. Not, I'm not suggesting that leprechauns are driving flying saucers or that <laughs> UFO pilots used to don little red caps, but there are there's so many parallels. The loss of time, I forgot more. about that. That yeah, right. they did talk about that in the in the Mothman that it was almost like the the couples would like wake up after a while and lose those those plots of time and wasn't one of the accounts um also steve from um a police officer um i tried mm-hmm. well let's see um trying to remember specific uh, reports I, I can't either, but I kind of remember that. I know that there was reports taken by the police, and that well, he uh, Keel did go. He introduced. He would always introduce himself to the local police. Okay. And he, you know, he didn't want uh, if he was out wandering around looking for UFOs. He didn't want to be picked up as some kind of a weirdo. You know, he he <laughs> he, 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 he joked and said he would go in and, and show his long list of credentials, his cards, as a as a big shot reporter from New York City. So, uh, it, they when. Uh, when one of the uh, when he when he first went down there, 
the people were very cooperative and they got several of the witnesses together in somebody's home to tell them their story. Right. And here's, here's another interesting side note. One of the young ladies, Connie Carpenter, saw this thing at the Mason County golf course as she's driving by. And it's one of these deals where it didn't flap its wings, it just took off straight up in the air. Hmm. The next day, she got conjunctivitis, whether your eyes are all swollen, like if uh, yeah. some, okay. Well, that's, Keel knew she was telling the truth because that's a common occurrence of people with close encounters with UFOs. Only very seldom do you hear it with a cryptid, although it does happen. So he got all these people together. They told their story. And that night, they went out to the TNT area. And Keel didn't see anything, but one of the, uh, one of the women did. And she, they got hysterical. She thought she saw the red eyes when the North Power Plant. And uh, uh, I think it was Deputy Halstead went out there with them. And I think he decided not to go in the power plant. He decided to stay outside, <laughs> which means he's a smart police officer. But, uh, and, and, but Keel went back alone. You know, I went into the TNT area alone one night as well. But, oh, dear uh, Lord. Just, just, oh, my God. Just, I think no. I'd be too scared. Just, <laughs> just, too. just to impress the chicks, you know. But, <laughs> they weren't there to see you gotta it. You got to do so. what you got to do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh, so, uh, and, and there was another situation where they... Uh, he, he was with the police and they investigated a, uh, he, he saw a close landing one time when he was oh. out in the field at night alone and he received conjunctivitis, but uh, they went up there, tried to go up the hill to see where it had been. And the uh, police radio started acting bizarre and, and static started coming over it, even though it was turned off. So there are all oh. kinds of strange things going on. Well, here's another part of this that I want to bring up that I actually find it makes it even more credible is after the initial sightings of the Mothman, then there became um, visitations or sightings of the men in black yes. within the community. And it was, it was people that didn't even have the sightings, Michelle, that were seeing them, these, that clearly in this small town, people that didn't belong. And it wasn't like Stand other out. reporters. They were clearly like G-men Correct. Yeah. Well, some of them. Now, see, the uh, Keel used the term men in black as kind of a generic term because it doesn't necessarily mean literally somebody dressed in black with a black fedora harassing UFO witnesses. Sometimes right. there were just some real odd characters that would show up. And it's hard to tell if they were mentally imbalanced or there, there does seem to be a well, Mary Heyer. Mary Heyer was the local newspaper reporter that yes. became a colleague of John Keel. She had these, these weird visitors come in uh, yep. where they just didn't seem to be all together. And they were fascinated by, by John Keel and UFOs. And they would suggest that he was lying about uh, the reports. And she said, well, I've been out there with him when he's seen him. So, but it's, they're, they're, uh, there, there's much more to it than that. It's some seem to be just uh, some kind of government interference. Others are, are almost like, almost like a modern day devil theory. I mean, these, these guys are really bizarre. And, uh, uh -huh. you know, it's, it's hard to know what to make of them, but it's not, it's like so much in this, in the paranormal, there's not one explanation for these things. Uh, Keel, some of the people that uh, Keel uh, interviewed and investigated had very strange visitors come to their house. There was, yes. there was a really bizarre case, uh, the Dr. Hopkins case <coughs> from Maine, where uh, he was involved with a local UFO group. He was a licensed hypnotherapist or a psychologist mm -hmm. that would do some of the regressions. And he had, he claimed he had this man come one night that wanted him to destroy certain files he had. Yeah. And he said, uh, he, he, he told them what the kind of coins he had in his pocket. And then he made them appear like magic in his in his hand and it made it made it disappear. And he said, Do you know what happened to Barney Hill? Now, Betty and Barney Hill were the, the abductees where their their time loss back in the early 60s was the mm -hmm. first one to be really publicized. Right. And wow. uh, he said, Do you know what happened to, to Barney Hill? He said, Well, I think he had a heart attack. And he said, No, his heart disappeared the way this coin did. Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not. There is a Dr. Bertrand Schwartz, who knew Dr. Hopkins, believed that he, he believed he had a real experience. But uh, actually, Barney Hill died of a cerebral hemorrhage. Uh, do you, are you familiar with the Hill case? Do you know what I'm, I'm referring mm. to? Maybe the, uh, 
Uh, I, I've heard of it, but I don't know. Yeah. And again, it's not my field of expertise. That was the first and, big one. I mean, that was covered in Look magazine. They made actually a phenomenal wow. made-for-TV film in 76, I think. James Earl Jones played mm -hmm. Barney Hill. Estelle Parsons played right. uh, Betty Hill. Very well produced. But And uh, it talked about they had uh, time loss. And so they, they went to mm -hmm. Dr. Benjamin Simon, retrieved the memories, uh, Although they weren't exact, they were very close, but actually people don't know that the stuff that happened to them afterwards was even stranger. They had an outbreak of very strange poltergeist phenomena with clothes being thrown all over the house and, and hearing footsteps and seeing apparitions. And it gets, it gets even weirder, which is a whole nother story. And, and that's, that's the thing, you know, the old expression uh, of going down the rabbit hole. I don't, yes, think, I have, I I don't think I have say. a better expression, but that's what happens. You, you try to get a grasp on some of this and you think you've got some of it figured out and then there it goes. I'm late, I'm late, I'm late, out. you know? Yes. Steve, I say all the time, anytime I research something, I realize how little I know. Oh, and I keep researching true. and it's like you pulled the thread and it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even and know any of this stuff. Everything How walking around. Right, it all unravels, right. How can I not know this stuff? And this is the field that I'm in. So you're right, you go down the rabbit hole, you know, it, it is insane. So currently, have there been, I, I think I saw one article that it's they're seeing it in another state. Is that near you? Well, I, oh yeah, Chicago, the Chicago Mothman, uh, my, in my yes. humble opinion. Uh, and I don't know that I'll say much more of this. I think the Chicago Mothman is a hoax. Ah. I think most of it is is manufactured. I, in fact, there's a a lady. I, I do my own podcast called The High Strangest Factor on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. I had this great lady on named Allison Jornland, who is a phenomenal researcher. She went out to all these reported sites in Chicago area and tracked mm -hmm. it down. Now, you know, if somebody makes up something, they don't always get the geography right. right. She, she found there's so many cases that they didn't get the geography right. Several oh. of, the, of the original reports came in, had the same IP address that came to MUFON, the Mutual UFO. Oh. I'm not saying all these are bogus, but there's, it, it, it's, uh, she really, really demonstrated that there's not much going on there, I don't think. But here's the other thing. You know how people are always saying that they saw the Mothman in Chernobyl and they saw him over here and there? Uh -huh. No, you didn't. <laughs> it's The thing is that people see winged creatures or apparitions or whatever they are all over the place, but they're not really the Mothman per se. It, it may be that they come from the same source, but they manifest right. differently. John Keel was not, uh, he, he actually rejected the ET hypothesis in the late 60s. He thought we were dealing with something that was a natural condition of the planet. He oh. left the door open for ET a little bit, but uh, you know, he just, he thought that it wasn't that important if the UFO had so many portals or, or doors or what the dome was. He, he wanted to know what the, the, the uh, the phenomena was behind it. He, he talked about uh, transmogrifications of energy. Now that's a great word because the only other place I've ever heard it besides Keel is in Kelvin and Hobbes comic strips. Okay. Remember he had his, his transmogrifier? Yep. Yes, space yes. Script. Okay. <laughs> but Keel wasn't sure that these were all, you know, uh, uh, he, he thought they were at least paraphysical, but he wasn't sure, uh, you know, that the same person could have a UFO experience. They also might see a, a hairy biped at another time, but he just wasn't sure that these were separate independent entities, but they might might this be, he, he thought the only, in some cases, the only objective reality might be these strange meandering lights and people that would see one of these things would be programmed or whatever. And one would see a giant triangle UFO overhead. Oh. Another one might see a creature shamble through the woods. Not that they were hallucinations per se, but uh, so anyway, he deals, uh, he, uh, he advanced uh, the, the UFO field so much. Let me just give you one other thing he did. He, he had these great catchphrases. And one of them was ask the contactee or the experiencer what they had for breakfast. Now, not literally whether they had post toasties, but he said, you have to find out all about the individual. Mm -hmm. Don't just ask about their UFO sighting. And when you do that, you find out they've had a whole history of phenomena, creatures, electrical interference in the house, strange visitors. So when I talked to, I talked to a lady from New Hampshire on my show once, 
And mm-hmm. uh, I actually talked to her before my show, before she had kind of a breakthrough with regressive hypnosis. And she, uh, you know, she and her husband saw this thing come over the porch. They realized one morning, early one morning, and then they realized they were missing half an hour. So, but before she pursued that, I I asked her all kinds of questions and to make a long story short, I found out they'd had electrical interference in the Uh. house. They were seeing orbs inside and outside the house. Her children were, she had seen a shadow person. Uh, uh, She had uh, a typical haunting phenomena in the house. And then I said, this is going to sound like a crazy question, but have you ever seen anything like a Bigfoot or some kind of a creature you couldn't identify? And she said, no. And then she said, oh, wait a minute my mother-in-law and sister-in-law saw something near the property and it was two different times. They saw something that looked like a panther standing on two legs. Mm. Now, the point is, if I was frozen in the 1960s about UFOs and little guys landing in spaceships, I never would have known to ask all those other questions and all that would have gone by the wayside. So Keel is the one that found out that there's much, much more to this and much, much more to the individual and what they're experiencing. It sounds like, too, he created um, with this, uh, as you're kind of pointing out, a methodology, which I think is so important to taking in the information and that there's certain things that you can immediately eliminate and just say, "Mm, I think that they're, you know, off the charts, cuckoo. Um, Or it actually, like you're saying, it has basis in other things that seem to correlate with one another where people have the similar experiences around the same thing all the time it's a huge huge issue i think that's crazy i've I've got a lot of reading to do i've got (laughs) i'm writing all these books down hey steve i have a question about when you mentioned windows and i find that fascinating with the missing time and, and missing space um is there any evidence that it's tied to any like stone circles like any hinges um, well, it, uh, Keel, actually, he talked about the mounds, you know, the, okay. what, what, yes, what, yeah. because a lot of times the lights were seen around the mounds. He wondered what came first, the, did they build the mounds and did the, was it a residue of their worship or the, the tulpa right. that created the lights or did they build the mounds in relation to the lights? You want to hear something mm-hmm. really very, very good question. You know, you've heard about the dog man, yep. the Michigan yes. dog man, Linda Godfrey, who's done such great research into those. Well, she discovered, she was looking at clusters of dogman reports in Southern Wisconsin. Now the dogman is, a, a, people are seeing these upright canids and they started really surfacing in the, around the late eighties, early nineties. Although you find out people have been seeing these things forever, but it's almost, it's almost like, it's, it's okay to report your strange Bigfoot <laughs> right. report, but uh, an upright dog, no, no, don't, let's not go there. <laughs> but she was looking at a map of, of, uh, of, mount, of mounds in southern Wisconsin. Right. And she found an almost exact correlation between these clusters of dogman reports and certain types of mounds. Panther no mounds and the water spirit mounds. And there is a tradition, I believe, in, in Native American lore that these, these dogmen uh, are there to guard or protect some of the mounds. Oh, so cool. Which well, isn't if, the one protector for the um, Egyptian... Um, oh, the, the Anubis. Yeah, yeah. Anubis? Yes. 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 And that's, right a, dog that's a dog man, right. And, and, and Anubis is sort of the, I think he was a, a link between the, the underworld and the living, or, or if, mm-hmm. I, if I said that properly. Uh, before we, I don't, I don't know how much time we have, but I do, I did talk to a survivor that went down on the Silver Bridge, if you want to hear it before we go. Yes, tonight. yes, yes. Oh, yes, please. Okay. It was uh, 20, it was, yeah, 2017, 50 years after the bridge collapse. And that was, uh, it was December 15th. Uh, the, it was just after five o'clock. The sun was almost down. The bridge was filled with, with Christmas traffic. Uh, oh. uh, just like I say, just above 20 degrees. And we, I, I just met a man, uh, I went down for the remembrance ceremony for, uh, on that year. The next day, we, a friend of mine and I met this guy at the uh, uh, River Museum. <clears throat> His name is Bill Edmondson. And he was 88, which means he was 38 when he was crossing the bridge in his truck. He was hauling material to be uh, used in tires from, uh, well, to, he was going to Detroit. So he was coming from the West Virginia side to the Ohio mm-hmm. side. He told us, that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Mothman Prophecies. 
right and, and yeah. Richard Gere has all kinds of time to warn people to get off the bridge. And okay. if, in fact, it took 30 to 40 seconds and it was down. So he's <sighs> driving across and he told us, if you can imagine the span going out in front of you, it started wobbling. And yes, then gosh. it just gave way. And he, he had to hold on to the steering wheel to stay in place. Everything fell into the Ohio. Uh, he, he was pushed through the passenger window. His, his companion, his, the, his relief driver, was in the cab and never got out. Uh, <laughs> 46 people died altogether. This, all this steel and cars went down at once. And, but he was, the good news was he actually got out through the window and the currents were starting to pull him up. But then I call this the curse of the 1960s pant cuffs. Now he, he admitted that he had undone his pants a little bit to drive comfortably. And so when he hit the water, his pants were pulled down, but they didn't come off because they couldn't get around his shoes. Oh. And debris was still falling, caught his pants and started to pull him back under again. Oh no. Wow. So he shook himself free, came up to the surface. His right arm is useless. Uh, he looked at some of the material he was hauling is floating on the river. And this is, you imagine how cold this is. And oh. there was a slit, so he put his left arm through to stay buoyant. And a, a, a tugboat captain saw him. Uh, moved downriver and, and in, intercepted his, him going downriver and they pulled him up out of the water probably moments before he would have died of hypothermia. Now, <laughs> I've never heard, uh, you, we hear stories like that all the time on TV, but I've never heard anything like that uh, told they heard the reality anymore. of it, right. So were there, how many survivors were there, Steve? 46. I, I, don't, I, I don't recall, it was 60 some, I think, that went down uh, and, and so several of them, you know, immediately the, uh, the boats and everything uh, mobilized and uh, pulled people up out of the river as much as they could. But the conditions were so awful, you know, you've got the current, you've got the temperature, you've got the chaos, you've got the bridge falling and all the debris and everything. So in such a small community at the holiday time, uh, everybody yes. in that town had to have known somebody that was there yeah. or was directly related to somebody, somebody that was well, on that they, bridge. They were frantic. You know, communications weren't as good in those days. Right. No and, cell phones. Uh, so many people were almost to the bridge. Some were at the end of the bridge and just got off. John oh. Keel was frantic and he was in his new, he was in New York at the time. And he spent hours, finally got through to Mary Hire on the phone. And he asked, make sure she was all right and asked about other people that they knew. So, and Jeff Wamsley, he was uh, six years old when uh, the bridge collapsed. And he, oh, wow. a lot of people I talked to in town uh, remember hearing the, the roar of the, of the bridge going down. Yes. In fact, uh, Jeff Wamsley was uh, uh, Linda Scarberry, one of the original sighting people. He was her uh, paper boy. Oh. So a very tight knit community. Do they know the cause of the bridge collapse? Do they ever yes. figure out? Uh, they they re, re, reassembled it. They said it was the thirteenth I bar that was not was had a defect. Uh, oh, not, okay. <laughs> I know thirteenth I bar. So uh, you know other people have other ideas. Uh, I, I don't. I tend not to think that this entity or whatever caused it. And as far as a harbinger, I have to say, if you're going to be a harbinger, can't you? be a little clearer about what you're warning about. Right, but, but, right. But, but you know, there was other strange things going on there. Keel was, in, Keel was in contact with many individuals that firmly believed that they were in contact with other entities, space brothers or whatever. That's where really? the prophecies comes from in the Mothman prophecies. They kept talking about this event that was gonna come happen on December 15th. And oh, finally okay. they said, well, it's an EM event. What, whatever that means. And uh, Keel, uh, there, there's going to be something, a disaster on the Ohio River. Keel thought maybe one of the factories is going to blow up, but there was nothing. It was like misdirection. Uh, he was actually in his apartment on at that time. It, it, the prophecy said that when President Johnson uh, turned on the Christmas tree lights at the Rockefeller Center, then there was going to be three days of darkness or whatever, and the, and, and, uh, the AEM effect was going to take place, whatever the hell that meant. But Nothing like that happened. And then the bridge collapsed and he just mm. he was dumbfounded. He, he had dealt with this kind of thing so much where people would get uh, prophecies 
And mm -hmm. some of them would come true. They would be kind of sucked in like the trickster, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And then the big one, you know, where, oh, the UFOs are going to come and land on the hill. I'm going to get my friends together so we can escape and nothing happens. Uh, there's sure. this, this pattern that shows up sometimes. And so it's very mischievous, uh, but some of it does seem to actually present real uh, events. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was just, it was phenomenal. I mean, the, the book, The Mothman Prophecies is, uh, it's one of my favorite books, but I would really recommend, uh, it might be a little harder to get through, but Trojan Horse, uh, when, you know, when I read Trojan Horse, I was so happy with uh, ETs coming from space and, and jumping out of their little, little craft, taking soil samples. <laughs> and then I read this and I, I thought, what are you doing to me, John? You know, this, is, this is messing up my comfortable paradigm. Right. And everything you see differently once you oh, have yes. that, you know, you know reveal to yourself. The second book was that messed me up by Jacques Follet <laughs> called Passport to Magonia. And he's the one that first made the connection with uh, elements of folklore and modern day UFO experiences. So after I read really? those two books, yes, oh yes. Agonia, oh, I'm just writing this down. Yes. <laughs> you know, what well, we've talked about, kind of touched on it uh, before, I was just saying, Michelle, that you and I have talked about where people have um, said that they've seen um, archangels right. um, or talked about it in the Bible, where we ha really have a strong belief that maybe some of that wasn't archangels. They needed the miracle, but maybe it was visitors, ETs from another planet and um, yeah. that who, going who, back who, that far. Who, who no. were the helpers, actually? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes people even have missing time with Sasquatch experiences. That these, these two right. people, uh, uh, they're, they're out in a, in, a, in a high activity area and they're sitting down and uh, nothing much is going on. Then all of a sudden they notice that the, there's a light off in the east. What, what the heck? They find out five hours have gone by. Wow. And, and now who knows what's, what's going on there. There are so many crossovers and parallels. I'm actually going to be giving a talk on Bigfoot and the stranger aspects of Bigfoot at the Wyndham right. Arms Hotel in Ann Arbor on the 17th of this month. Ooh. And I'm, in, I'm immersed in, I'm not mainly a Bigfoot guy, but I'm kind of immersed in a, a stack of books. And uh, let me leave you with this. Uh, Tom Powell, who is one of the researchers that started out thinking flesh, uh, 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 Bigfoot was flesh and blood. So many have. And then you get taken to the dark side and you find out, wait a minute, people are seeing this thing vanish. People are seeing footprints in the middle of nowhere just stop, you know. Right. And, and, and yes, he said, yes, it happened on the Skinwalker Ranch as well. Mm -hmm. And he said, people are so relieved when they find out other people have had experiences just as strange. They think, Oh, thank God. I'm, either I'm not crazy or we're all crazy together. <laughs> we're all crazy together. Where do you see with the, um, you know, our ability to do um, probably more scientific investigation, Steve, and uh, obviously the technology, do you see us being able to, in the next, you know, even couple of years, being able to get more um, evidence to prove or disprove these things? Uh, possibly, I've been watching the, you know, people always criticize TV shows, but the, uh, the Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, it seems like they've done some of that with the, uh -huh. at least with the energy is going on there and doing things like, you know, ritual seems to trigger these things sometimes. We, right. we should talk about the Loch Ness Monster and the guy that tried to exercise at what time and, and what happened after that. But I, th <laughs> I, I think that, uh, I guess I have some hopes, but here's here's what I tell people. Listen to what people are reporting. Uh, mm. So many people go in with preconceived ideas. Bigfoot is flesh and blood. We don't want to hear the weird stuff. UFOs are nuts and bolts from Alpha Centauri. We don't want to hear that they change shape or vanish. You know, you've got to listen to what people say. And the other thing is, if you're if you're alert, you're going to find all kinds of patterns like we've just been talking about tonight between the past and present, folklore and modern day, uh, different what we think of as different types of phenomena, cryptids, UFOs, haunting type phenomena. Uh -huh. it, you know, it's it, sometimes people think you're just being lazy and, and trying to put it all together, but that's where it leads you. It leads you to where 
these things all seem part of the same thing. So we so have to listen to what people mind. say, yeah. document it. And of course, we're, we're always trying to figure out if somebody's trying to pull one on us, you know, <laughs> right. uh, uh, because right. garbage in, garbage out. And, but uh, <laughs> but the, the most fascinating thing to me is finding patterns and parallels in mm -hmm. these things. I, I, I totally agree. You. Go ahead, Ms. Jo. Oh, thanks. Um, it's a two-part question. Steve, have you um, had experiences um, with anything um, in this whole paranormal window? And through your research, like the more you research a certain entity or phenomenon, do you find that you are drawing it to you with your research? I, I'm the guy that has never had any experiences. Okay. And well, well there are people that, get, that do get heavily into this. John Keel did. And he, he admitted at one time he was a raving paranoiac. He said, <laughs> one of his chapters says, paranoiacs are made, not born. And when he talked to Art Bell about the movie, he said, yeah, he was, he was kind of a goner. I had one really weird experience. And one night, the night I went to, into the TNT area alone just to see if I could do it. And uh, all I did is go in with my, I had my recorder going. I looked like a real paranormal investigator. <laughs> went inside one of the igloos. And as I'm driving back to my motel, I experienced a couple flashes of light, like a couple strobes. And I thought, what is that? And I couldn't, I didn't have the presence of mind to think, where is this in the road where I can go back and check it? Right. Now, this happens to a lot of people that have, I mean, people have even seen UFOs and Bigfoot and said, oh, that's interesting. And they didn't pick up their camera or, or whatever, you know, how that goes. So right. I get back to my motel across the river and I open the door. Now remember, nothing happens to me. The TV set turns on by itself and starts flipping through channels continuously. Oh. And I thought, what? Holy crap. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't say it out loud, but I, I said to myself, I said, this doesn't happen to me. <laughs> and of course, I did what any intrepid paranormal investigator would do. I unplugged the TV and went to bed. <laughs> now, quickly, a year later, I'm in the next room in this motel next to that one with a couple of buddies were crammed in trying to save some money. The TV <laughs> set turns on by itself that night. Oh. So the next day, two of us came into the motel room for whatever reason, the TV set turned on by itself and flipped through a couple stations. So we tried everything with the remote through walls and all that, couldn't get it to work. Maybe it's some kind of stray electrical stuff. Okay, last part of this, a few years later, we're at a Mothman festival. The next room to that room, which is in a corner, which is bigger, two, uh, two couples are in there who are our friends, and they had one of the more modern TVs on. And they were having trouble with the sound. They had to keep turning it up to hear it. And then all of a sudden it would blast and then they'd have to turn it down again. Well, all of a sudden, a I don't know if you call them pop cans where you are or soda cans, but it flew off the table, one of the, the end tables while they oh. were doing this by itself. So here's my theory. If I brought back some disembodied spirit from the TNT area, fortunately, it's still there flipping channels and did not come home with me. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> you leave it hey, at the hotel. Even people that have done the movie that were the actors, I believe in The Exorcist and in Poltergeist, all wound up having paranormal experiences mm -hmm. while they were doing the movie mm -hmm. as well as after the movie and they actually said that the the sets were cursed yeah and, i mean the um, horror too the the newer one yes they, yep the newer well, it does one does seem yep, that, that uh, one's focus of attention like you were mentioning right. does kind of bring these things in it manifests and, uh, so but but akil thought that some people he, he used another kind of a literary device called the super spectrum and that is would be the energies beyond which we perceive or see and it was again it was just kind of a literary device but he he thought that certain people were uh more psychic or more prone to experience these things certain people for whatever reason are more open to it so hmm. i'm just not one of them but <laughs> i did have a, but, i did have my one one experience that sounds like it's a really cool experience. It does. So Steve, for yourself, it, it sounds like you're you're staying busy with your podcast and um, upcoming speaking. Yes. How else can our listeners connect to you or follow your um, adventures? Well, the uh, the High Strangest Factor on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. They've got all kinds of uh, good shows on there. Um, I just talked to a. Uh, Today, I just talked to a, an ex-cop, Jocko Johnson, 
out of New York. And if you could see this guy and hear him, you'd know he was a New York cop. He talked <laughs> about some of the paranormal experiences he had on the job. And it's, I have a real variety. I have uh, do a lot of John Keel stuff as well, oh, but yes. there's a, a good variety. I will be uh, speaking also at the Van Meter Visitor Festival, which was another winged creature that didn't look quite like Mothman. Van Meter, Iowa, 2000, whether 1903, uh, a, a week that people saw this thing. And Chad Lewis, who's one of the authors of the Van Meter Visitor, will, will take you on a walking tour of the, of the week of terror when this thing oh. was seen. And it was a bizarre cryptid. I mean, it had a, a light that came off it. People would lose time, had the missing right. time that were in proximate, approximation with it. So uh, I'm on Facebook, Steve Ward. If you type in Steve Ward and, and type in Battle Creek, you're liable to find me. So, okay. and I guess, oh, I have also a Facebook page called the Phantom Menagerie, where we post weird stuff, so. Phantom Sounds Menagerie. awesome. I'm okay. just writing Menagerie. it all down. And, and, and I'm writing a book, which it'll be out sometime this decade. We'll get back to you. All Ooh. right, so when you write the book or you get it published, you come back on and we'll yes. promo the book and, and we can talk about all the really exciting well. stuff. Because <laughs> I, I, I figured there had to be a years. book. <laughs> if, if our listeners could see behind you, you've got all kinds of so stuff. Cool. <laughs> yes, Some these are. Like... Uh, do we have time just to show you one here? Sure. This is. Uh, I made these posters. <clears throat> uh, the other one is. Uh, for, I made them look like the old uh, UFO magazines of the 70s. Yes. They're all bogus articles, satirical, with a lot of friends' names in them. This is one I made for the Van Meter Visitor Festival. And That's two of my friends cool. I turned into Men in Black, Silencing UFO Witnesses. And, oh, yeah. uh, I have the, the, the cryptid petting zoo, which is going to probably <laughs> arrive. So it's filled with inside jokes. And, uh, and because of last year, I couldn't uh, get anywhere to, dis to display them. So I'm looking forward this year for people to see their names in print. And You uh, better make laugh. sure you sign those. Those are going to be worth something. They're pretty <laughs> yes. cool as, as works of art. <laughs> they're, they're, they're handmade. I have to piece them all together. They're not, not high tech. So. Oh, even better. Even better. Well, thank you so, so much. And thank I'm sure see. our listeners are going to enjoy this and have probably more questions and things yes, answered. They will. Remember, and Michelle has a lot of reading to do. Mothman, <laughs> Mothman Festival, third weekend in September. You won't regret it. Oh, oh my God. Okay. And I give How up many one people of the does that draw? How many people I, does it draw? Thousands. 10,000, 12,000. It's open air. The only thing you have to pay for is the ticket for the uh, tour. And you're, there's, there's three of us that do the tours to the TNT oh. area, like a hayride, with a guaranteed oh, cool. flyover of the Mothman and uh, plenty, of, plenty of stale jokes from me. Okay, <laughs> I love it. Steve, thank you again so much lovely. for coming and sharing your information. I find it absolutely wonderful. fascinating. I hope we can have you back on again. Anytime. You're a yeah, wonderful guest. UFOs wonderful. next time, maybe. Yes, because we need a UFO person. We do. We need a UFO oh, person. No problem. I can okay, pontificate with the best of them. Oh, awesome. all right. Perfect. <laughs> thank you again so much. And thank right. you again to Michelle for joining again and Thanks, always being my lady. good friend and side coast and uh, co-host. And uh, uh, Dee, thank you also for coming in and being mm -hmm. amazing. Sure. You're welcome. And thanks to all of our listeners for your great suggestions and your shares and your subscriptions. And please keep your comments coming. We love it. And uh, love to hear um, what part of the episodes you're on and, and what you found fascinating. So thank you all to you. And everybody, happy 4th of July. And, happy 4th. Uh, yes, everybody stay blessed. Thank you. Do you think that I'd still hate my body if I grew wings and disappeared into the sky? I don't think anybody's words would matter when I could swoop down and kill them from 30 feet high. So when I feel sad, I'll screech in the night, confuse all my neighbors and give them a fright, and wonder why they think I'm a little strange. Maybe I can't be a supermodel skinny kind of pretty girl. Bye.